Hi guys, this is the Hearsay Podcast. My name is Saya. Thank you so much for tuning in. My guest today is the very talented and humble Courtney Barnett. It took us a very long time to get this interview together because Courtney is, of course, a super duper busy bee with her new album, Tell Me How You Really Feel, coming out 18th of May. So I'm so very grateful she made the time to have a chat. We did have to have a little intermission in real time. It was about two weeks in the podcast. It's about 10 seconds. It's just towards the end, so stay with it. Uh, Her strange show story is just after it. Also, we recorded that into a very different sounding mic, so please excuse the inconsistent sound quality. It's such a lovely story. I was just saying to her that normally the strange show stories are sort of a nightmare of awkward, uncomfortable moments, but this one is really quite sweet and uplifting. Uh, As you know, every week I send the audio of my guest's story to different artists who illustrates it however they like. This week, the amazing Celeste Mountjoy stepped in. You can see more of her artwork at Filthy Ratbag on Instagram and Facebook. All the illustrations can, of course, be seen on Instagram at Hearsay Podcast or on the Hearsay Facebook page. Here we go. Enjoy the podcast number 28, Courtney Barnett. Thanks so much for being on my podcast. Oh, no worries. I'm so happy to be on it. We finally made it happen. I know. It's been a long time coming. (laughs) I'm really bad. You're a very busy lady. (laughs) I'm really bad at organizing things. So I'm glad glad we got there. I'm so glad too. How do you go at organizing things for your record label? Well, Jen is probably the more kind of label manager for Milk Records. Uh, She does... The majority of that kind of work I do a lot of the like behind the scenes nerdy computer um back-end stuff because I'm I, I like doing that and then I don't have to deal with people yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah like kind of on online stuff and you know all the boring like I just enjoy you know packing and unpacking boxes <laughs> yeah I really and, like that too yeah I used to work in a bookshop um when I was in my early 20s and I loved unpacking books <laughs> for no yeah. reason at all except because you'd even you'd know what's in there but you'd still be like "Ooh, fresh book so nice yeah yeah <laughs> it's a it's a magical thing <laughs> yes, the smell's really nice. Same thing with with fresh records. Oh yeah, fresh records smell really good. I always wanted to work in a record store. Yeah, me too. Hmm. Bookstore was as close as I got. Yeah, I one day I hope to own a bookstore, just a little really? one. Yeah, with a cat in the window. Can I work in it? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just unpack all the boxes. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> um, so tell me about, let's start from the very beginning because I know like you drew, you kind of grew up in the northern beaches mm-hmm. um, and then moved to Tassie as mm-hmm. a teenager. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, I went up probably 15, 16, I reckon. And at what point did you pick up a guitar or pick up any instrument? Uh, I started guitar in Sydney 
when I was probably eight, nine, ten, around that kind of. Um, I think I started getting lessons around ten, but yeah, okay. I was always um, very keen on if you know we went to like a family friend's house and they had a guitar in the corner. I would, you know, try to take it home with me and. <laughs> just be really obsessed with it and for no real reason um yeah I guess all we had then was like rage and like the tv show not the yeah. band and um <laughs> <laughs> just heaps of rage against the machine that's it well <laughs> that's they, all we had that was one of our first cds I guess <laughs> in in the first pile <laughs> awesome um but yeah I just um it just seems so cool. It seems so fun and interesting. Yeah. Well, what were you listening to back then that made you want to pick up the guitar? Do you remember? Yeah, it was we we only had like a couple of kind of albums or we had Nirvana, we had Chili Peppers, No Doubt, um Jimi Hendrix, maybe Jeff Buckley. Well, that could have been a bit later. Um that kind of that kind of stuff. Pretty formative kind of sound, I guess. Like those, um, especially like Jimi Hendrix and Nirvana. I think every kid loves that kind of like energy. Yeah. Well, my I had an older brother. Uh, well, I have an older brother and he, um, yeah, I guess he's four years older. So he kind of, him and his friends, you know, I guess I looked up to what they were, were into. and Yeah. And I've read that you were pretty like obsessed with Nirvana in particular and Kurt Cobain and he's <laughs> <laughs> is that yeah. right is that weird <laughs> to mention that's true that's pretty true yeah <laughs> I, I only mention it because I went through the same thing and mm. have you seen that um what's that documentary called Montage of Heck that latest one that came out that was yes that produced by I his daughter yeah I found it really interesting to see that footage of Kurt and Courtney when they were really high and like really fucked up and singing to their daughter I feel Mm. like if I'd seen that as a teenager it would have completely changed the romanticism that I felt about them growing up yeah I think I think I was so young when I got into the band that I I didn't really and we didn't even have like the internet yet so it was kind of probably you know, a couple of magazine articles here and there and like yeah. I didn't really and I don't think I understood a lot of the lyrics and I didn't really understand the story. I think he, Kurt had, had died by the time I'd started listening to the band and I mean the the kind of tragic romantic story is you kind of can't avoid it I guess when you when you learn about the band but I think as I grew up I kind of understood it in a different way. Yeah, I think, yeah, I feel like everything changed when I watched that documentary. And, you know, and I watched that in my 30s. Not Mm. that I romanticised it so much in my 20s, but definitely as a teenager, I had, you know, I had heaps of posters of them on my wall and Mm. I was really obsessed with Kurt for no reason except maybe, I'm obviously the music, but also like that story of him being misunderstood and when you're a teenager you're like yeah me too (laughs) yeah (laughs) I don't know I mean looking back it's kind of you know I realized I had like the most extreme like privileged kind of you know 
growing up, just everything was great. And I, but I think at the time, it's like you know, you, you always find. I just was such a kind of angry and like sad teenager. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and and I I mean I assume it's kind of common because you just you're just trying to figure out you know what what it all means and what your place in the world is and I guess that's like an eternal eternal you know struggle and yeah I I feel like I'm probably going to be trying to figure that that out for the rest of my life but me too but um, that's when the hormones (laughs) are the strongest aren't they that that's when you're just like fuck (laughs) can't deal with anything yeah it's strange so let's talk a little bit more about um, little Courtney. When you moved to Tassie, is mm. that is that when you started playing live? Yes. Or having oh, your first experiences on stage? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I um, so I finished school uh, and I started doing kind of solo open mic kind of shows when I was eighteen. Um, Do you remember your first one? Yeah, my first one was at the Lark Distillery in Hobart. Oh, I it's love like, that place. Yeah, you know, the whiskey, it's like down on the yeah. wharf. Um, Expensive, lovely whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure like you'd get a free, um, you know, whiskey if you did the open mic. Nice. It's very, very exciting. <laughs> um, as an 18-year-old, any, any yeah. like free alcohol, you're like, wow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was definitely my f- – and I kind of did a bunch of them and, you know, my goal was to, to get a gig at the Republic Bar in, in North Hobart and, um, yeah, I kind of just kept doing – and then around that same time I'd done – I was I – was, well, maybe a bit earlier I was in a band with some friends, like a cover band, and um, we'd play at the at the pub and, and, um, and charge like – two dollars on the door and (laughs) sweet (laughs) what was your first band's name oh it was called chameleon that's a pretty Um, good name yeah pretty pretty great it was fun (laughs) it was really I just kind of I just play guitar um I sang a little bit but mostly just guitar Uh, were you playing lead then or were you just kind of like learning how to do it well, the main singer guy, he just he played keyboard, so I was kind of you know rhythm and lead, um, yeah. guitar in in one, depending on uh, <laughs> on which <laughs> which classic hit we were playing. <laughs> what kind of what kind of classic hits were they? Oh, like um, Toto, Michael Jackson. Um, oh, those are pretty complex. Yeah. That's not like three Cheryl chord Crow. tracks. <laughs> yeah, well, he was really um he was a bit of a mu- musical genius. Um so, you know, it was it was it was cool. It was inspiring to to play with him. I think he's a doctor now. So Wow. He was he was a clever guy. When did you start writing your own songs? I think I I'd, I'd probably been doing it for forever like since I you know, we started doing poetry lessons in school and when I started playing guitar and learning other people's songs, I think I started just making up my own little little songs. So I'd kind of always been been doing it, but in my kind of late 
teens, maybe when I moved to Hobart, I, I it was a bit more of a concentrated, like I'd get a little multi-track program on my computer and record songs and give them to my family for Christmas. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they appreciated it. It's such a narcissistic Christmas present. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually just thinking back, one of my best friends got married like 15 years ago and I wrote them a song as their wedding present. Aww. And I was thinking that I was thinking that too. Like it's kind of a weird gift to nah, give someone. It's, it's beautiful. That's a beautiful gift. So did you ever get stage fright? Oh yeah. I was so I mean, I still do, but not to that extreme. It was yeah, it was pretty chronic. <laughs> do you feel strange knowing that something that makes you feel so uncomfortable is the thing that you're striving to do? Yeah, it's a weird uh, – I mean, I've I've kind of thought about it and uh, and talked about it a lot with people. It's such a – it seems like such a kind of common story of the kind of more introverted artist, you know, in any – in any kind of medium and and then the that extreme like extreme difference of performing or just being in the kind of you know general kind of public eye um yeah yeah it's a it's a strange kind of contrast but um I've never quite understood it but I think I you know I think a lot of it was maybe in my head well maybe not in my head but I think I just was pushed into the deep end and kind of had to learn how to how to control it or just how to harness that energy like that nervous or or fear into like something useful yeah definitely (laughs) which is which is probably a good a good lesson I've had points in my life because I I struggle with um with anxiety and stage fright quite a bit too but not all mm. the time. It's sort of, it's weird when it really kicks in and when it doesn't. Yeah. And I remember one time I was supporting uh, Sarah Blasco at the Enmore. And I don't know what it was. I think maybe I'd, I'd romanticised the Enmore. I'd never played there before and it's such a beautiful venue. And mm. um, and beforehand I was legitimately like looking at the fire alarm <laughs> going, I could just pull this, <laughs> get the fuck out of here. it was so strange and then you know and then when you get on stage it all sort of dissipates and it's fine but um yeah I I I always wonder why the fuck do I do this because it's fun I'm not having any fun right now (laughs) yeah and then you do and it's all fine yeah and then it is fun (laughs) yeah or you feel like an enormous sense of relief when you've done it it's kind of like immersion maybe you like you just you throw yourself in there and then hope in the hope of getting better and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't yeah yeah I don't know (laughs) I don't know (laughs) do you think that being an introvert is a hindrance in songwriting and in um live performance um no I I think that I just try to try to look at it as if you know everything has a has some sort of use and has some sort of place I I think that that kind of if that's my natural kind of mindset then it it allows me to um I think the writing process is um is is probably um 
probably gained a lot more from that from that kind of state of state of mind and just being able to focus in on on kind of smaller ideas and that kind of alone yeah yeah and what about before you had management and you know a team of people working for you did you have to hustle did it make you feel uncomfortable yeah oh I was such a um hustler <laughs> just forever <laughs> really? like it's so um it's such a gross like looking back just how it's because I guess it's kind of like a a desperation as well but I think I was always like that like when I was a kid you know I would put a box a, this little cardboard box on my bedroom door and a sign that was like if you want to enter my room you have to put 20 cents in the box <laughs> and so if I had like if we had family or friends over and I just in the back of my mind I was like yeah this is my this is my business <laughs> like such a good idea I was just always this like little capitalist kid <laughs> like and just obsessed with um I was always obsessed with like advertising and um like the graphic design and everything that goes with like it's so weird I don't even know where that I think my dad was a screen printer and he he kind of did a lot of um you know advertising stuff but that's the only thing I can I can kind of connect it to but yeah that whole just I was always kind of trying and then when I started when I moved to Melbourne I would just kind of like cold call um people or other artists like email like I remember I emailed Jen Cloa <laughs> before I knew Did her you? Oh, I myspaced her actually and was like like <laughs> let me open for you but it's always like that that kind of strange like you know aggressive like um yeah you know I'm the best no. thing you'll ever hear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's so like, or like trying to be kind of quirky to get someone's attention. And sometimes people oh, yeah. do it to me now. And, and I'm like, that you're just coming across as rude, not, yeah. not quirky or interesting, but just like, it's almost, yeah, like this aggressive. Um, so yeah, that's what, that's what I would do to try to kind of charm, <laughs> charm people. I remember I, I emailed the Lucksmiths once when they were, doing their final like farewell show and I wrote this what in my mind was really quirky I was like hey I discovered you um you know when I um um because I would burn your cds from the library um and you know like like (laughs) make copies of them and and now I'm a huge fan and I'd I'd love to open your final show and I got a letter I got a letter back that was like it's probably people like you the reason that we're giving up music <laughs> oh no <laughs> because because we can't sell any records and oh, like no. they were really nice but yeah you know, they're the y- nicest dudes ever yeah and and I still like am a huge fan but I think I was like oh my god why did I send that and <laughs> of course like they're gonna have like their best friends kind of open their show and but I didn't understand that yeah. I was like I'm so great <laughs> <laughs> Does Jen remember getting your MySpace message, your quirky message? No. Well, she says no. She did reply at the time, politely. <laughs> Just a polite no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so in answer to your question, I was I was a bit of, yeah, I was definitely 
hustling, trying to get it done. I I can't imagine you doing it. You're such a polite person. I can't imagine you having any kind of ego <laughs> enough to to write a message. I think it's the it was like the extreme, like from one extreme to another. It was like extreme kind of desperation of like oh I'm never gonna do anything like no one will ever care about me and then just being like okay like just do this and so it was it was kind of yeah one extreme to the other kind of trying to see see if something like if anything would stick (laughs) yeah I I feel like I can still relate to that now because I I hate hustling and I'm quite often even with this podcast I feel it's it's difficult to know what extent to hustle because I don't really like promoting myself. So, I, you know, it's like not <laughs> ideal for someone who's um, interviewing people. But I and then sometimes I'll just go, no, fuck it. I'm going to ask this person for an interview. Mm. And, you know, obviously it, it doesn't always work. I think it's that idea of just like, you know, believing in what you're doing and, and keeping on doing it. Like that was my like I would kind of if I got some sort of rejection I would read into it as if like it was like that person hated me and everyone you know and I was a failure in the Mm. music world and I would never be able to do anything and it's like actually maybe that person's just busy or you know like just kind of understanding that it wasn't all about me (laughs) definitely (laughs) once I once I figured that out and I just kind of you just keep doing what you're doing and then and then it just happens but I think yeah it takes you on its journey at at the time it was like you know everything is like the be all and end all and like every every failure is your biggest failure and yeah of course I think it's really hard for young people to be able to put that full stop next to a sentence like you know that person isn't emailing me back full stop instead of going that person is not emailing me back which means I'm a failure which means Mm. that I should stop writing music um, I think that's a it's a really hard thing to do and it's even hard when you get older but it mm. definitely gets easier the other night when I saw you and Jen in Brisbane mm. um, I was talking to Jen about as I get older I feel personally more confident but artistically there's more doubt creeping in every now and again yeah which is really strange because you know it's almost like you can't win like when you're young you have so much like innocence to not realize what's happening um and so you just do it and then when you get older you feel more of yourself but you can't get shit happening because you're too scared or because yeah or you think too much maybe that's the bottom line yeah or you're just kind of yeah more aware of so many things and so much other music and yeah why is that why can't we just go back to that young innocence yeah (laughs) I remember a songwriter who I really admire who I won't say the name of kind of one night it was almost like a backhanded compliment he was kind of like um like saying don't ever you know don't don't read too many books um and (laughs) (laughs) it's hard to explain but what he was saying was you know Basically that I was a kind of naive songwriter, but that that was a great thing. Oh, and, yeah. Um, and, you know, the more you learn, the more kind of clouds your vision of everything. And yeah. <laughs> I was kind of like, oh, that's, that's nice, but also kind of not nice. But I, but I get 
I get the, I get the message, and it, yeah. um, I just I have always found it really funny. <laughs> um, I really wanted to say I know that you know we haven't really got to the new album yet. I sort of like to do it as a timeline sometimes, but I just want to say I super super love your new song that need a little time has been on repeat in my house for weeks now and it's such a great chorus I really really love the song oh thank you it's like one of those songs for me that you know every, every few months or maybe every I don't know sometimes longer um, you hear one song that you just want to listen to over and over and I think the last one before this was Beyonce's Halo so I think you're <laughs> in really good company <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I don't know if I've ever known anyone who's written a song that's on, been on repeat in my home over and over. Um, so it's really nice to like think of you writing the song as you know as someone that I that I think is really nice as well. Oh, I would love to be able to say that at, as Beyonce. You know, <laughs> I, I just don't. <laughs> it's really nice to know where she's coming from, but. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! Imagine if you got Beyonce on the podcast. That would be great. Oh my God. I remember talking to um, friends of mine that won a Grammy and when they got on stage, they were like, it was just fucking insane. Like the front row was like Beyonce, Jay-Z, Prince was there. <laughs> like, um, you know, ev oh everyone that you'd ever wanted to see as a kid were like in the front row and they were just like fucking shitting themselves. <laughs> 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 Have you ever had any experiences like that? I'm sure you've been in crowds where you've just been like, oh, my God. Um. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, maybe not to that extent, but I, I think in my own, like, you know, I have my own kind of songwriting and musical idols and people I've met. And I think in the moment um, I've always kind of been of the idea not to, you know, that people are people and that kind of idea of the pedestal is is um is like a bit wild and um I try not because and and then I, I try not to do it because I think yeah it just kind of ruins the interaction so I whenever I meet people I try not to get too like um starstruck even though it can be hard but but then walking away and just and trying to kind of comprehend the whole <laughs> situation <laughs> from, uh, you know, throwing all of those ideas out the window and just being like, oh, my God, how how did that just happen? We were eating yeah. a sandwich and talking about, like, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> I know. Just things like that. It's, um, it's a funny, yeah. But that's kind thing. of, that's lovely because that's how you actually become friends with your idols rather than, you know, you you don't want to be the guy that's like, hey, can I get a selfie? And then they, they would be like, oh, we th I thought we were friends. And now it's, <laughs> I don't know. I've had, I've had a couple. Have you ever had a, a bad experience with someone famous or a, an idol? Yeah, nothing has been so terrible that it comes to mind. I well, think so lucky. just always, yeah, just kind of, I think being aware of, people's like you know that people are just normal people yeah <laughs> I, I think like a funny maybe a strange one actually was um <laughs> was was Neil Young and um because I love Neil Young and but it was this kind of awkward situation where um 
lots of people wanted to introduce us in a very small space and he kind of came out of this dressing room rehearsal room and um and everyone kind of pounced and um and I think that he was just really overwhelmed and you know and they were like we want you to meet this person and he was like who like (laughs) who are all you people (laughs) and um I mean he was really nice and polite but I I could see I could see that he was like what is happening (laughs) like where did all these people come from so I think that you know when things like that happen it's kind of awkward and yeah um, that is awkward (laughs) (laughs) could have been worse though he could have been rude about it exactly I mean that sounds like he was really nice about it yeah when you were on um Jimmy Fallon and you were on SNL too weren't you yeah around was that around a similar time I just remember like everyone in Australia just lost their shit that an Australian person was on these late night talk shows in America. Did you notice a massive sense of Australian pride at that time? Or I just, I just felt it like in, in my circles, everyone was like stoked for you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I felt that. Um, Did you get, did you feel like it was just, just like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, kind of. But I, I think that's just a common thought in my head all the time (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I mean of course yeah it's a it's it's a crazy um it's a crazy situation to to find yourself in (laughs) did you have any ways of like little tricks of dealing with the blow up of that first record like did you I don't know did you ever feel like you needed to like pinch yourself or meditate or you know talk to talk to your parents or <laughs> I don't know um I think it was a kind of constant learning process of um yeah of kind of learning how to how to deal with all these extreme um extreme emotions after you put out the first album did you get a bit paralyzed from pressure or anxiety about writing another one that was you know meant to be as successful or more successful than the last um I guess it's a thought that you kind of can't ignore but I think it's just that it's probably a constant thing like we as people are always trying to do better than the last thing we did and um you know, you're always trying to kind of learn more and be better. And even the first album, you know, I'd already done those two EPs. And so, you know, even, I mean, it was even kind of apparent then just kind of trying to trying to write something better. Or, But I think I, I just had to drop the idea of, you know, trying to please anyone. Yeah, Cause, that's such a hard thing to do. Yeah. But I I found even listening to your last between the EPs and the first album is a huge like it sounds as though you become a lot more confident even Mm. in your singing and your songwriting. It sounds as though you've got like, you know, momentum and confidence. But it it is like, I don't know, I feel like after you release the first record and you would you would have just done years of touring on that. Mm. Right. Uh, Yeah. I imagine it would have been then difficult to like start writing again and head into the studio. 
Yeah, I I don't know. It was um, I think just kind of keeping on doing it and keeping on working was the only thing that kind of um that made sense. Like whenever I would stop and you know get paranoid and think about what people might think about this or people close mm. to me might think about this line or this song or you know people I didn't know I, I just it doesn't matter none of that stuff matters and once I kind of you know came to came to peace with that it's like it just none of it matters <laughs> <laughs> so just do whatever <laughs> do you have certain people in your life that you play things to before they're finished mm, probably Jen um sometimes Nick my manager are you good at accepting criticism or or you know constructive feedback not really me either <laughs> yeah I think yeah I think I like to think I am but then yeah I I, I feel myself getting defensive or hear yeah. myself I'm like yeah well it's not the lyrics aren't finished yet so <laughs> <laughs> no but I, I have I can take um criticism or or feedback from my brother. Oh, and yeah. that's it pretty much. Oh and Quan from Regurgitator, that's it. Yeah. And everyone else, like I get really defensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's good to have those those even if it's yeah, one or two people. Yeah, and I, I do think it helps because sometimes playing something aloud for someone can make you have realizations about you know what what's working and what's not working even without them saying anything oh yeah just when it comes out of your mouth it yeah like I would read a lot of um a lot of the stuff I was writing before they kind of turned into songs I would read that out loud to Jen and just the difference between you know writing something and then reading it out loud (laughs) yeah to someone else (laughs) I was like, yeah. oh, I already know that this is terrible and I'm already halfway <laughs> through it. <laughs> Did you set yourself writing goals on this new record? Yeah, um, kind of. Like, yeah, lots of little kind of goals and experiments and, um, yeah, just trying to get my brain moving, I think, instead of kind of sitting and waiting for inspiration to come, just kind of, you know going after it yeah (laughs) even if it even if it was terrible writing or terrible ideas just just kind of starting I think I think that yeah if you don't start then obviously nothing nothing will come from it so definitely just um, so did you make yourself work certain hours or um I probably went a bit too extreme of just like you know all day <laughs> with <laughs> it's probably a better way to do you know like break it into hours and to but yeah and that's probably why I ended up procrastinating and and you know not kind of doing it but even things like you know I'd I'd set myself a task to write one page each morning on my typewriter with like oh, a cup wow. of tea that's and then, so cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I'd go off and like go and play guitar and, um, you know, record guitar parts and um, just try to kind of balance it between 
between things and then I'd go to this other desk like the the kind of kitchen table and spread out all my all my random paper notes and try to piece piece parts together and um I don't know I, I still don't know what works I think it's everything everything works there's no kind of one one little process yeah everything works and everything sucks is <laughs> what I found <laughs> like everything's really That's frustrating great. when it doesn't work <laughs> yeah yeah what do you do when you procrastinate oh just anything really decide to you know that I want to start learning how to make a table (laughs) out of wood and like leftover wood and then I've got to go to the hardware store and and get a new hammer and get all this stuff and then I've got to go to Bunnings and get some paint and (laughs) um like just absolutely anything you know I spent like three hours one day in here um trying to hang fairy lights um (laughs) to you know provide like to make a bit of a mood and provide some inspiration and yeah and then I re- and then I you know nearly kind of killed myself in the process oh, no. up on the ladder and just yeah I think I think anything and I don't know sometimes sometimes great things come out of procrastination like trying to um you know find the positive if you if you go and decide to catch up with friends or go to the art gallery or whatever I think you'll always find something kind of funny or positive definitely I think I have a procrastination hierarchy like if I (laughs) at the top of it is always my tax like I (laughs) that's the thing I least want to do if I don't want to do my tax I'll like start filing all the pieces (laughs) of paper in my house (laughs) into a filing cabinet (laughs) filing is a good one yeah after that one's probably working on a song I've been struggling with. Um, cleaning is always there. It, yeah, there's like steps for me. Yep. <laughs> Watching Instagram videos of animals. Oh my god, <laughs> the, the, the phone the is go-to. the worst. The the worst one. <laughs> yeah, I definitely yeah decide to you know rearrange my whole house or you know put the shelves and all the records on from that side of the room to the other side and just spend like three days rearranging. (laughs) Do you remember that scene out of High Fidelity where he reorganises his records autobiographically? Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like I could get into that. (laughs) I love that movie. (laughs) Hey, let's go back to your guitar playing. So you got lessons when you were a kid. Mm -hmm. Did you learn to use a pick in lessons? Yeah. Because I don't think I've ever seen you use a pick. No, I haven't for a long time. Yeah, I might have when I was learning probably. Um, And then when I started playing acoustic, like when I was kind of doing my solo stuff, it was always acoustic. And um, I think I just didn't like the sound of the pick on acoustic strings. It just sounded so twangy and... um, and because I'm kind of a lot more like rhythm guitar than like finger picky or um, I think it was really obvious and I just, I must have just stopped at some point. Um, but yeah, it was never very extremely conscious, I don't think. It just, um, and it was probably like, I was probably sick of, 
you know when people like can't do a gig because they can't find their pick (laughs) (laughs) I would hate like that would stress me out so much if I had to rely on something like that (laughs) yeah (laughs) I'm already left-handed like it's hard enough like (laughs) that's true (laughs) if if my guitar doesn't turn up somewhere it's like oh god so that's like that's enough of a thing to have to rely on (laughs) have you ever played a gig where your guitar hasn't shown up Mm, no I don't think so it's always um I think I've always been fine um one time there was a chance it was gonna happen and I think they started like restringing a spare guitar like someone else's spare guitar right like left-handed for me um but then it was fine in the end I think yeah I could I could get away with playing a right-handed guitar upside you know upside down if I really had to but it would really it would be it would be a bit different and a bit shit but <laughs> I could I could do it. <laughs> did you learn how to play guitar like when you first started picking it up? Did you learn chords upside down? Uh yeah, just out of kind of yeah, necessity. Necessity, and, yeah. But um, but then yeah, when I got lessons, I I I got my own guitar. But then, you know, whenever I would go somewhere and there wasn't a left-handed guitar, I would just turn my knowledge upside down and and kind of, you know, just I just got to learn, got to learn stuff upside down. That's so dexterous. <laughs> That's really sounds hard. <laughs> Have you ever come across like your dream guitar, but you couldn't have it because it wasn't left-handed? Uh, nah. <laughs> Are you a gearhead just, at all? Not really. Yeah, I just, you know, I think I've just been so used to like having two options in yeah. any guitar store. It's like, I mean, I like guitars and stuff, but, uh, you know, they're all, they're all just different versions of the same thing (laughs) (laughs) so you don't own like 20 guitars I've got a couple they're like my superannuation uh fund what does your pedal board look like um I was just playing around with it yesterday trying to decide if I needed to, to change anything um it's just like I've got a chorus pedal an OCD like overdrive thingy a blues driver, a delay, and that's it, a tuner. And then I think I've got, I just, I Kurt gave me a Fuzz Factory pedal um, for this one solo on my new album that I, I think <laughs> I used one in the studio. Um, so I was like, I need to replicate, be able to replicate that. Yeah. it's really nasty. Awesome. <laughs> so, um so yeah, it's uh it's pretty simple. Yeah, that's not too many. So you don't have like have you haven't had someone like set up a fancy pedal board for you for all your touring? Nah. It'd probably be good if someone, you know, told me how how it could be better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that would probably be a good thing for me because I'm like, oh, just like only recently on this tour, I on this last Gen Chloe tour, I was like, oh, just just the pedal being on the, you know, the wrong side of the other one, just like I realised that it was kind of cancelling something out instead of boosting it how it was supposed to and 
yeah stuff like that like I just don't have the patience to to learn and understand it so it'd probably be a good thing for me for <laughs> maybe, to maybe show I'm me what I'm doing um, how do you go collaborating? So you obviously did an album with Kurt Vile, which is beautiful. Um, but did you guys did you guys do a lot of collaborating on that, or did you sort of go off and write separately and then bring songs to each other? Um, yeah, it was qu- quite separate because um, we were in different places, and and then and then yeah, we'd come together to the in the studio just over like a very small amount of time. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it was quite separate. But, I mean, the process of recording the songs was, it still felt, you know, very kind of um, collaborative and um, kind of inclusive. Um, it was yeah. fun. It was all just so much fun. And Do you feel like there were things that you learnt from Kurt? Yeah, definitely. Um, I couldn't really put them into words, but... Um, but I know I did. I know that that whole process, um, you know, recording and the tour that we did, um, was just kind of life changing for me. Um, and I don't really know why, but I know that it, (laughs) that it was a really, it was a really big deal. And I think it's just what I needed, you know, at the, at the exact right time. Yeah. Well, I suppose the best thing to do when you're, I don't know if you were feeling a bit listless or, or anything, but I, I guess the best thing to do in any circumstance is go out on tour and just have a really fun time with friends. Because touring's already, like, I mean, touring can be pretty strenuous, but if you're touring with friends, it's the best fun ever. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a bit about the new albums. I've only heard a few songs. Um Oh yeah. It's coming out really soon. Yes. Um how, how are you feeling about it? How tell me about your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel really excited for it to come out. Um I mean, it's kind of that like sick sick in the stomach kind of feeling of waiting for something to to come out, but um but yeah, I think I've gone through all the stages of, um, you know, hating it and being paranoid about it and thinking it was all a big mistake and and then <laughs> loving it and being really proud of it and yeah. um, just kind of, yeah, coming to, to terms with it. Um, Where are you with it now? I, I'm just happy and proud and... Um, I think, you know, I just keep learning more about the songs as time goes on and I guess the more I the more I talk about them in interviews and then I'm just kind of relearning them at the moment. Yeah. Because um, we kind of, I guess we start touring in a couple of weeks and we've got some rehearsals and all that. So, um, yeah, just seeing how songs continue to grow and change and... Um, it always takes me like two years to fully understand. Actually, it's just, I've, it's just a constant kind of learning process of understanding songs. Yeah, I think because they change so much, and when people, when they, you know, the day that they get released and go into the world, they take on a whole different new meaning, and people interpret them, and 
and I'm like, oh, I never thought of it like that. That's right, yeah. <laughs> or, or else I see some, you know, hidden thing that I I was maybe like hiding from myself and it's just kind of come out and it's, yeah, I find it a really, a really strange process. And I guess because a lot of the lyrics on this new one, um, you've talked a lot about it being there's a lot of frustration, anger and sadness. Mm. But when I, I mean, when I hear the music um, that I have heard from it, it's like a lot of it is really up. So it's mm. kind of my favourite combination of like really happy music with like really serious <laughs> lyrics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like that, it's like a constant struggle of 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 trying to, you know, be positive. Yeah. In a, in a negative situation. Yeah. Or, Totally. That's, that's what it f- feels like it is, like in a in a musical expression. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that are some of the songs off the new album, do they make you feel vulnerable when you play them live? Um, yeah, I think they will, but in a good way. I think um, I think it's always a it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be vulnerable and to. I think, yeah, I, I see more of myself in those moments as well and understand understand more. And, and it is always, you know, strangely kind of liberating to, to, to talk about such kind of close things to lots of people. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. But I, I do sometimes think if you're feeling... Um, you know, you're you're reacting to your own songs every night. If you're on really long tours, it can get quite emotionally draining as well. Yeah. Do you think that'll be the case with some of these songs? Um, I think that's always just a... I think it always fluctuates between those two things and I've always been like that. Like, it, you know, I'll just... If I get it in my head that everyone is at the show because they're like they don't like me and they're trying to prove me oh. wrong or something and you know and you you that that thought is in your head the whole show and you look at yeah. someone and they yawn and or like oh yeah it's like they're they're there to, to like catch you out yeah <laughs> when they're not they're probably no. they're probably there because they bought a ticket and like wanted to see what was going on do you remember that line from the simpsons where um lisa's playing and and everyone's booing her and she's like why would they come here just to boo us <laughs> that reminds me of maybe you should remember that next time why is everyone here <laughs> yeah. why would you come here just to hate it they're not there <laughs> hating it they're they're loving it <laughs> yeah so in the grand scheme of things I know like you know for the the new album and um and people are going to hear it and make assumptions and talk to you about how it feels being a role model for young women. How, how are you going to react to all of that? Uh, I guess I just kind of try to take stuff as it comes. I think a lot of the time it's just important for me to remember, like not to take things too personally and to remember that those, you know, a lot of those ideas are people's own projections and assumptions and sometimes it says more about them than it does about me (laughs) yeah oh absolutely Um, but it's so hard to remember that in the moment sometimes yeah yeah of course when you're like being accused of 
I don't know, whatever. Or some people are just so so aggressive in in their questioning. But yeah, again, I think that's more about their own stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's just a kind of a constant. Um, it's an interesting kind of challenge to to take on. It's part of. I think it's part of part of it all. Yeah. Do you feel like you're a role model? Like, just to ask that question that I just made fun of. But do you feel? Like, <laughs> do you feel like? Um, do you feel weird knowing that people look up to you as a role model? I, I think my kind of natural reaction is is yeah to think it's it's strange and you know that my kind of negative like. Um, maybe it's some sort of ingrained um and i don't know if it's like that kind of strange australian um thing but yeah my natural th- my natural response is to to think i'm not i'm not good enough and that you know what do i have to teach anyone but i think yeah. i'm just i'm getting over that and letting go of that idea because sure if i could inspire anyone to like do anything or you know be a better person or do what what they want to do or then that's an amazing um position to uh to be in so I think just yeah getting over that idea that it's all about me and (laughs) you know um yeah you just got to keep remembering why would they come here just to boo us (laughs) (laughs) I might I'll, I'll have to get that tattooed on my wrist so I can look at it while I'm playing so we have two things in common that I that I th- I mean we probably have a million things in common but two things I want to mention. The first one is we have the same smudge t-shirt that I wear all the time <laughs> as well and I always see you wearing. The Modern Lovers one. Yep. Great. Cuz Smudge are one of my favorite bands of all time. Great. They're so good. So good and I feel like if there's anyone listening who doesn't know the band Smudge, um you should definitely check them out. Anyway, the other thing that I wanted to mention that we have in common is um, well, we've both had to learn how to play parts live that Dan Luscombe's written <laughs> <laughs> um, because I played keyboards for Ben Salter and um, uh. Dan Luscombe wrote all of the keyboard parts on that album and they're so goddamn complicated. I found it really <laughs> difficult to learn. <laughs> yeah, He's like a musical genius. Yeah, he really he really is. And so he's produced two of your albums. Yeah, and um well like I I guess I kind of got I mean Dan and I became friends years ago while I was making my second EP and um or maybe before then, but I remember calling him. I was kind of really stressed out about maybe I was mixing it or something and and um and I just called him and was like, "Can you please help me finish this EP and I was really nervous because I didn't know him that well and I was like why would he want to do anything with me and you know and he was like sure (laughs) um (laughs) and he was just really kind and you know we I I like redid some um vocals and he kind of did some uh I think guitar and stuff and just really um like avant-garde um and maybe some other stuff um history eraser um and yeah and then the second album or the you know first album the album after that 
<laughs> um, sometimes I see it. He, um, I just really admire his um, knowledge and his his kind of musical knowledge is is crazy. Yeah, he knows everything and yeah, just such a kind of thoughtful player. I think really kind of I learnt I feel like I learnt so much from him especially and and then having to like relearn his guitar parts when he couldn't because he toured with us for a little bit but then the drones did um a new album and um yeah and so so then we we kind of continued as a three-piece and um and yeah just I was so stressed out to kind of learn all of his parts but I think in the end it probably you know pushed me to become a better player and to 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 kind of figure out all this stuff and yeah I think it definitely pushed me to be a better player too trying to learn his keyboard parts Mm. but sometimes I was like what I can't even (laughs) I can't even figure out what he's doing (laughs) really complicated (laughs) or things that sound really easy but or actually not at all easy I don't know he's I think he's just got one of those beautiful talents where he he's so musical um Mm. and he he knows what a song needs yeah and it's very um kind of um ego egoless yeah um because yeah he 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 always does just very kind of um yeah, just textural sounds that um, that you yeah you don't even realize are there, but are so kind of integral to um, to making something richer or thicker or kind of more dynamic and and that's um, yeah I reckon that's a that's a huge skill. Yeah, I agree. Intermission. So we're back after uh, about a two-week intermission um, where you were really concentrating on getting the best story possible for this part of the <laughs> podcast. Um, so I'm ready. Go. Go with your amazing story. <laughs> I'm just not a storyteller, you know. I, <laughs> maybe in songs I am, but in real life it's my biggest nightmare. Oh, no, I'm so, so sorry for making you do this. <laughs> No, it's okay. I um, I thought of um, a story which, I mean, it's not really that weird or strange or whatever, but it was um, exciting and surreal. And um, it was last year, last April, and um, I, um, Patty Smith was coming to Australia, so I bought tickets, like set my alarm, you know, yeah. for 9 a.m. to buy tickets. <laughs> and... Um, and I was so excited. I got them, and and then a couple of months later, I got asked to um to do like one of the support, like to open one of the shows. Oh my gosh! And um and so I was I was so excited because you know I'm a big I'm a big fan. Yeah. And um 
So, yeah, we, I, I saw her at Blues Fest and, and watched from side of stage and was just mesmerised. And then um, and then a couple nights later I went to the show that I bought tickets for um, and that was great. <laughs> and then a couple of nights later we did the um, show at Festival Hall where um, me and my band opened up. Amazing. And, um, and at Soundcheck... Uh, they were Patty Smith's band was like, Oh, you're gonna come and um get up on stage and, and sing a song. Oh my gosh. In our set. And I was like, Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes I am. <laughs> of course. I was like, What song? I didn't learn it. Oh my god. Um but they had like kind of written out the chords for oh. me and and um and So had you met Patty Smith at this point? Oh yeah, okay. So yes, I'd met her backstage at the show that I bought a ticket to. Okay. And how was that? Was it was it surreal? It was. It was surreal. Um, just something, I guess, one of those moments that I really never thought would happen. Um, and I try not to over-idolise people. Yeah. Um, but I think that um, she's just one of those artists that um, – has a whole, you know, this huge kind of energy around her. And, yeah, so when I met her, I was I was pretty nervous. And um, What did you talk about? I can't remember. <laughs> um, we talked, I think that, well, Jen was with me and, and she really, um, you know, she really stepped up and took, took control of oh, the yeah. You need someone like that. <laughs> yeah, and that was that was great. I think that sometimes I'm the person that steps up and and does it, but in this, I, I think I was really lost for words, and that doesn't normally happen to me. So um, yeah, we talked about I kind of like the audience. I think oh, that yeah. night because it was a sit down theater, oh. and um, I think that you know. Um, their set was so powerful and she's, she's so energetic on stage. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, we were just, you know, asking if it was strange with people just politely sitting down. And, um, you know how when you're sitting down in a theatre watching a show, you, you kind of have to, you feel like you have to adhere to the rules. Absolutely, yeah. So even if you want to get up and rock you out. Can't. Yeah. You yeah. You feel, yeah, you feel like. I was at a show the other night. Someone tapped me, or not me. Someone tapped my friend on the shoulder because she was dancing, and they were like, "Sit oh. down!" <laughs> oh my god! I got yeah. yeah, I got shushed at Paul McCartney, which was in a stadium. <laughs> and yeah, this I was, was a stadium show. Yeah. yeah, we were just like talking about how, what a great time we were having and how great Paul McCartney was, and somebody tapped us on the shoulder and and shushed us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You still feel really bad, like you've been really naughty. Yeah. We we talked about that dilemma, yeah. <laughs> Talk me through performing with her then. So you got told at Soundcheck. Yes. So um, so that night I met her, she, Patty said um, very briefly, like, you should do a song with us next week. And I was like, sure, yes, but assuming that it would never <laughs> happen. And then... When Soundcheck came. And just came, poop, pooped um, in your pants a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Soundcheck came and they were like, okay, here's a song. People have the power. Um, let's practice. And um, and I practiced with the band but not with Patty. I think that um, she went off 
to do something. And um, yeah. so I ran through the song with the band and that was great. And then we played our set that night and uh, it was a huge, huge venue. Like I'd never, um, I never played in there and it was really fun. I played there once with um supporting Devo and it's uh, oh, it's right. a massive space. Yeah, bigger than I expected. I don't know yeah, why. Me I too. just always thought that that place was a bit smaller, but it's not. It's huge. It's massive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was really great and kind of it was one of our only um, hometown shows in a while, I think, and so that was really nice, lots of friends and family and, you know, people who – we're really into Patti Smith, obviously, so that was a nice crowd to play to. And yeah. then um and then we watched um we watched Patti Smith and her band and that was great. And I was kind of jumping from side to side of the stage and then out the front <laughs> and just to see how it how it sounded everywhere. Um <laughs> and then and then I think, yeah, my song came up and you know when you just kinda outside your own body. Um, yeah. It's, I, I wanted to be in the moment and connected, but I was really <laughs> somewhere else. <laughs> I think I was so nervous. And um, so I kind of, um, you know, um, shuffled on stage with my guitar and played the song and, um, and you know, sung some of the choruses along with into Lenny Kay's microphone and then there's kind of the the breakdown part and Patty was like you know getting the crowd to to clap along and um and I didn't notice but she kind of she came over to me and did like the stadium rock um you know put the microphone um to my mouth to sing the kind of response um (laughs) the call and response thing and I um, I just was so, I was so kind of nervous about it all. And then, and then I kind of didn't notice that that was happening. And then because I'm left-handed, um, my guitar neck was in her way. And, uh, oh, no. so I think, you know, she would normally do that to someone right-handed and <laughs> it was this really awkward, um, you know, we kind of got tangled up in each other a little bit and she, and we laughed about it afterwards like she was like I just couldn't I couldn't figure out where you were <laughs> got trapped <laughs> and so on top of all the nerves and the kind of you know excite ex, ex, just how exciting it was and then that happened and I watched video or I saw a photo back and I just have the biggest smile on my face <laughs> so it was just this really yeah, incredible moment, and then you know that just made me laugh about it. And I love the I love the romantic notion of you guys getting tangled up in one another. <laughs> yeah, it's so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> that would totally happen to me too. I think if there was ever any cool moment, I would like be clumsy in it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's good. It's you can't be you can't be a hundred percent cool all the time. No. Surely, <laughs> who does that? <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty much a hundred percent cool all the time. So. <laughs> no, I'm like, yeah, I feel like I I blow all those kinds of moments 
<laughs> I feel like you did that's you didn't blow it at all. I think that that's really sweet. Yeah. No, it was it was a great moment. It was very uh I I felt very, you know, welcome and and um oh. part of it. So yeah, it was fun. Top top 5 moments of your life. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, that's a great story. What a positive story. <laughs> Normally it's like a terrible story. <laughs> this one is really great. <laughs> Good. This one is really nice. Thank you so much for um for crafting this story over two weeks and um, <laughs> <laughs> getting it just perfect for me. <laughs> uh, I can't believe it took so long. Nice. I mean, we've had we've had obstacles, you know. We've had sickness. We've had rehearsals. We've had um, we've had a lot of stuff because you you're heading overseas soon, and who knows when we'll talk again. Yeah. Yep. This this is true. I am a little bit sad that I won't have a an excuse to message you every couple of days now, though. (laughs) (laughs) You still send me photos of of uh, whiskey. I will. Whiskey the dog. Yeah. <laughs> I think I feel like we've got a really nice friendship just based on sending pictures of our pets to each other. Yeah, it's either our pets or Stella. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or musical Stella Moskawa. Raps. The best. Yes. Oh, this is I feel like I feel like there's going to be some really good messages in the next couple of months. <laughs> yeah, I want to I want to see and hear more of the um of that project yeah I will maybe I can send you some sneaky stuff without telling Quan. Quan is really um he's really particular about not playing stuff to people before it's done oh fair Um, enough I get that which it's fair enough but I like I like to get validation (laughs) (laughs) not really I I prefer it to be done but I can maybe like send you some sneaky stuff that nobody else has heard yes (laughs) (laughs) oh it was so nice to talk to you thanks again for making the time and um oh actually before you go I completely forgot to talk to you about this the other day so I'm really glad I got another opportunity but I'm a massive Kim Deal and Breeders fan and you've done some stuff with her yes can you can you really quickly tell me about that stuff before we finish yeah so um I did a podcast with Kim deal a couple of years ago called talk house where we interviewed each other and um and so we did that and then we just stayed in touch afterwards via email we kind of became pen pals and and then one time I was passing through their town and I was like do you want to catch up and they were in the studio making that new album um which is awesome actually I just watched they did a tiny desk like an NPR tiny desk it's so good oh I haven't seen that yet it's I'll have awesome. to watch it when we get off the phone. Um, so, yeah, we were in touch and – oh, yeah, oh yeah, we dropped into the studio to say hi and um, they were like, we need, we need some group vocals on this song. So I was with my band and I was like – so we, we jumped in and did it. And then <laughs> um, when I was making my album last year, they, um, I had this part of a song – where I wanted, I heard in my head like a kind of group chant of going, tell me how you really feel. And um, yeah. so I sent that to, to, to Kim and, uh, yeah, she she and Kelly put down some vocals to it and then 
Kim also put some on another song, Nameless, Faceless, and, and sent it back, and then it was done. So it was really, That's it was really so cool. That's so good. That's so easy. Yeah. How and the internet so can good. bring people together. Yeah. The vocals that she did on your single are so incredibly, like, Kim Deal. Like, you can really tell that it's her. Um, yeah. Even that, just the, the melody that she sings, it's so awesome. I know. Yeah, it's so distinctive. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, even that was a weird moment. Like, when we were doing the mixing, um, I was kind of emailing back and forth and she was kind of sending ideas and I would just wake up at, like, 3 or 4 a.m. and, um, you know, put some food in Bubbles Bowl or something and then check check my emails and I'd have this, you know, this WAV file just of Kim Deal's voice. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> just, you know, and I was like, and I'd kind of play it to myself and just be like, wow, this sounds so good and this is such a weird moment. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I love that she's on your song and I love that you're mm. on her song. So it's such a perfect match. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. They're a great band. I yeah, I just wanted to talk to you about that cuz I forgot to mention it the other day. Yeah, good thinking. I'm glad I'm yeah. glad we snuck that in. <laughs> Maybe I can edit it a little bit so we can <laughs> put it in the front. <laughs> I feel like the audio quality is going to be different. <laughs> yeah no ma- yeah but maybe it'll have to be after the intermission works. oh well yeah it'll be fine <laughs> all right oh thank you so much court it was so thank lovely you. to talk to thank you thank you for having me mm-hmm.